Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Cansu Çamlıbel. We are coming to you from Istanbul. As always, I have Can Selçuk'i with me, a journalist and a poster. As the hosts of this show, we try to help you navigate through the crazy Turkish political landscape by giving some insight and tips about the political fora as well as people's sentiments. Can, how is life lately? Hi Cansu, life is good. Looking out my window and seeing that fall is coming to Istanbul, trying to, you know, stay clear of Corona still. I must say that Istanbul is fully back to normal. It feels like the social life in the city is not much different than the pre-pandemic life. As far as I can see, only masks and disinfectants are added to the scene. And there is something bothering me about how the masks are used in cafes and restaurants. This is not to criticize the others because I have done the same thing myself. So this is quite a dilemma for everyone who is involved in the social life, I guess. We go to the restaurants with our masks on. Then most of us, as soon as we get seated, we take off our masks and do not put them back until we are finished and we are heading outside the restaurant. Meanwhile, the waiters and other personnel are, of course, masked. This feels a little strange because this is as if only workers might carry the virus. So this is something really bothering me. Jansu, I think this kind of absurdity is everywhere. I do it myself. I walk to the cafe with my friend with our masks on. And as soon as we sit down, we take off our masks. But I think this is the time of absurdities. I, I should not feel guilty about this. <laughs> I feel guilty. No, most feel... definitely not. <laughs> Especially, actually, let me tell you, and let me tell our uh, audience, perhaps, you have been one of the most vigilant individuals uh, <laughs> around me uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, if anyone, you shouldn't feel uh, guilty at all. Well, I, no matter what I do, I I'm taking enough precautions. I think this is the psyche that the, the corona times are imposing upon us. Let's talk about politics. Since we last spoke, there has been a massive development in Turkish politics. Many of the mayors and members of the People's Democratic Party, HDP, are behind the bars. I mean, there were so many. I even lost the count of the people who were already behind the bars. But two weeks ago, a little over than two weeks ago, new arrests were made. And one of the leading figures among these people who were put behind the bars was the co-mayor of Kars, Ayhan Bilyar. Many fear that we might be entering a period where, in fact, might lead to uh, a closure case against the party. We had seen this story so many times in the past. So many pro-Kurdish parties were closed down in Turkey before. Of course, HDP is a little sophisticated offshoot of those parties, but still, What happens if the government, I say the government because we already know that this is not going to be purely judiciary decision if that happens. If that happens, what might we expect in Turkish politics in the months to come? Well, first, let me begin by saying I hope it doesn't happen because uh, Turkish democracy has never, or any democracy for that matter, has had nothing to gain from party closures. And it was within this line of thinking that led to 
AK Parti uh, making it difficult to close shutdown parties. If anyone should know this, it's actually AK Parti itself as a political movement that has suffered so many times from undemocratic party closures and, and coup attempts and all those anti-democratic interventions. I find it very ironic that it's an AK Parti government that brings this discussion back on the uh, agenda. Having said this, let me also add that closing down parties only resulted in them coming back stronger. You might close down HDP, that could happen, but it will be only within days that a new party will be formed. They will proceed with their uh, regular uh, political life. And if HDP gets shut down, it will not be the first time that a pro-Kurdish party is being shut down. I don't see the the reasoning behind this. Because one needs to note uh, that no matter what happens, HDP has a 10% vote share in this country. Kurdish political movement has at least a 10% vote share in Turkey. Can, sorry to interrupt, but since you're elaborating uh, on this point, can you confirm that they are around 10% as we speak? Yes, yes, I can easily uh, confirm that, Jansu, and they never go below 10% for as long as I can remember. So the 10% threshold is a non-issue for for the HDP. Going back to my point, the Kurdish political movement in Turkey has a 10% backing within the popular vote. So this has nothing to do with the party, right? This is a this is a sociological and ideological position that appeals to at least 10% of the popular vote. Jan, if so you can, you can go- shut down HDP, you can, you know, next day XDP will be established and they will get the same vote. Before you continue, it will be it will be useful for our audience who are not too familiar with the situation in Turkey, especially when we talk about the Kurdish political movement, because you said that they are always around 10% and they don't have a threshold problem to enter the the Turkish parliament. So when we say Kurdish political movement in Turkey, apparently we are referring to a Kurdish political movement which has emerged on the left and which has been inspired by the armed struggle of the PKK. But on the other hand, the, the Kurdish population is diverse and we have a population of Kurds who do vote for the AKP, for the ruling Justice and Development Party, we are not talking about a small number. Do you have exact figures? For example, going back to the 2018 presidential elections, in the cities which Selahattin Demirtas, then the candidate of HDP, came first, Erdogan, for example, got around between 20 to 30% of the votes in general, and in some instances, even more. So I would say in the region, AK Parti still appeals to around 20 to 30% of the popular vote in the predominantly Kurdish populated regions, cities of Turkey. Which, of course, is, very, proxy... which is very important. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But this is a rather um, strict division. You know, I'm not sure how much pass-through is present between the Kurdish voters, so I think shutting down HDP, if the political aim is to convert the Kurdish votes to AK Party, I don't think you know such a move would produce that result. 
And just to back you on this point, because we always talk about swing votes among the Kurdish voters in Turkey. Uh, as you said, maybe there is not an exact figure on the percentage of Kurds who might be actually voting for HDP in one election and might be actually going for the AKP in the next election. But these swing voters are very critical because they show their reaction to President Erdogan in times, although they are mostly conservative voters in the mostly Kurdish-populated provinces. And the political analysts from the region that I have spoken to since the last wave of the crackdown on the HDP politicians, most of them told me that apparently the reaction from the Kurdish voters who do pick AKP traditionally will be immense because this is a crackdown against the will of people at the end of the day. And as you said in the beginning, this is one thing that AKP, the historically Islamist masses, suffered in Turkey in the first place. The public reaction to the recent wave of arrests and the crackdown. Would it actually add a few points to HDP if there was an election next month, for instance? I think it would, Jansu, because... Look, Turkish society at large doesn't have a very broad understanding of democracy, meaning, you know, when we talk about democracy, we don't only talk about the ballot box, right? We also talk about institutions, we also talk about rule of law and whatnot. But for the general public, democracy boils down to representation and the ballot box. And if there's one thing that the Turkish public dislikes in common, is when the state fiddles with representation and the ballot box. You know, a very recent example of this was the Istanbul rerun elections. The High Council of Election Board decided to annul Istanbul municipal elections and make a rerun. There was a huge protest to that, and we saw the results in the rerun elections when Mr. Imamoğlu really widened the gap against Mr. Yildirim. Now, this is similar, Hmm. right? When you talk about deterioration of institutions or when you talk about deterioration of rule of right or press freedom, these resonate less with the general public. But when you move against the elected representative, that resonates and that that has repercussions. And like you said, I think going forward, the Kurdish water will react to this. Right. Recent statements of Mithat Sanjar, the co-chairman of People's Democratic Party, HDP. I remember he said that the government has not yet decided to shut down their party because of the political costs. So, as you know, in order to get elected president, you need more than 50% of the votes in Turkey. Our polls, other firms' poll, confirm that the People's Alliance of AK Party and MHP are getting further away from that 50% every month. In our latest poll in October, their combined share was... 42.7%, rounded up to 43%. So there's a seven, eight point gap that Mr. Erdogan needs to make up for. Mm-hmm. And not only that, while doing that, he also needs to make sure that, you know, that 43% doesn't erode further. So if you continue to agitate, let's say, uh, the Kurdish voters, then not only it becomes more difficult for Mr. Erdogan and our party to make up the gap until, you know, 50%, but also it becomes more difficult to actually preserve that 43%. Because, you know, one should also remember that there are now new parties 
that actually can appeal to the religiously conservative Kurds, namely the future party of former Prime Minister Mr. Davutoglu, who has no trouble in going to the region, uh, talking to conservative, religiously conservative Kurdish population, not only in the region, but also in the cities in Istanbul. So, you know, all of this combined, I think the point of chairman is right. This would be, I think, politically too costly for uh, Erdogan and AK Party to actually shut down HDP and further uh, agitate the Kurdish voters. Because one thing that we need to remember is, you know, if it were the good old days when Erdogan could maneuver at will, he would, you know, try to get close to Kurdish voters. But now, because of his alliance with MHP, he doesn't have that kind of flexibility anymore. Therefore, one thing he can do is actually not to agitate them further. Even before shutting down, these crackdowns, I think, are already uh, are working uh, exactly. strongly uh, against him. Uh, it feels like, to me, the primary motivation for the governing bloc, AKP and MHB combined, was to damage the organization scheme of the HDP. And it feels like the second motivation for the governing bloc was to test the members of the opposition, whether they, they are going to oppose or they are going to back this crackdown. And by doing so, it feels like uh, especially they were testing Meral Akşener of E-Party, the Good Party, because Good Party stands on a relatively nationalistic ideology. One would assume that they would not embrace the HDP politicians. Would you agree with me that this was also one of the motivations for the governing bloc? And how do you think Meral Akşener did in terms of her reactions to the crackdown on the HDP politicians? Absolutely. The crackdown has, you know, this side uh, as well, trying to create divisions uh, within the opposition ranks. However, I think one thing we need to notice here is that, you know, this would have been effective if we were talking about this four years ago, three years ago, when the opposition was a very limited front, meaning it was composed of basically HDP, CHP and E-Party. But now the front has, has widened. And you hear from a larger range of politicians an opposition to this. So the fact that, you know, E-Party leader was rather weak or shy uh, in opposing the uh, crackdowns don't matter anymore, I find. Now you have Mr. Babacan, now you have Mr. Davutoğlu, who are also uh, raising their voices and opposing these crackdowns as you know, uh, unlawful. What about uh, the CHP leader Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu? Not only with reference to his reaction to the uh, crackdown on the HDP politicians, but he has been under constant criticism recently. I know you wrote about this in another Turkish publication, but there was also a recent opinion poll showing that he is actually considered quite successful. He was ranking in the second place, if I'm not mistaken, in that poll. So there is this interesting, ironical situation of Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. Although he was the mastermind behind last year's local election uh, strategy of the CHP, 
He was the one who picked up uh, Ekrem İmamoğlu and Tunç Soyer and also Pastor Mansur Yavaş. But he always takes the blame and criticism when uh, CHP is not doing great in terms of the public outlook. So you're asking me to unravel the curious case of uh, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. It is indeed interesting, but Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu is making a choice and the choice is clear. His top priority is to keep the opposition bloc intact and enlarge it to the extent possible. So he's sort of choosing not to be in the forefront of politics. Now, this has worked so far for him, but I think he's discounting psychology too much, meaning, yes, he's keeping you know, the opposition bloc intact, but at the same time, He is receiving a lot of criticism because he's not really feeding the psychology of the opposition uh, electorate and also his own party men. That's why he's being subject to a lot of criticism. And and I think one point that I really criticize his uh, strategy is that it's one thing to keep the opposition block intact, but he also needs to speak up. Now, back in the day, you know, not speaking up to everything that the ruling party did was a good strategy because that party's electorate was not really in a position to listen to criticism to their leader or to a party. But now we are in a different landscape. The economy is suffering greatly. There's a lot of things that Mr. Kluge-Starole can speak about that would not irritate the electorate of the ruling party. And at the same time, keep his own electorate and keep his own party men happy. But he's not doing this. There are five things that he needs to do correctly. He's choosing to do only one of them, which is to keep the, the opposition block intact. And I think one point he's missing here is that regardless of this, the opposition block would stay intact because opposition uh, actors do not have much choice. They can't really join the ruling coalition because then their votes would go down the drain. So I think this is why uh, Mr. Kılıçdaroğlu is being heavily criticized. Uh, I agree that there is some uh, justification to that criticism, but one should also see that he is trying to uh, play out a strategy by pushing himself to the background and his party to the background. It is a right strategy, but I find insufficient. The last point I would like to raise today is the AKP's, the Turkish government's intent to lower the 10% threshold, election threshold. There have been credible reports from Ankara that apparently there is a commission among the AKP ranks working on a draft proposal. And this proposal will be submitted to the president probably uh, by the end of this year or by the beginning of 2021. And the main purpose uh, in, in this draft legislation is to lower the 10% threshold among some other amendments. What is the reason the AKP is considering to lower the threshold? Under these circumstances, if the government passes a law that would actually lower the threshold, this would be backed by the opposition, right? Right, Jansu. But I don't think it would be backed by the opposition, but I don't think lowering the threshold would come alone, would come with no strings attached. Mm -hmm. I think if the government was to lower the threshold, right now there's a 10% threshold, but 
if a political party enters the elections with an alliance, if that alliance clears the threshold, even if a party within the alliance does not clear the threshold, they can still have representation in the parliament. So I think if the government was to introduce an amendment to reduce the threshold, they would introduce a second amendment that would probably say, look, we're lowering the threshold. So from now on, each party has to clear the threshold on their own. Clearing the threshold via the alliance is no longer in place. So I think lowering the threshold would be coupled with such an amendment. And probably if you set the threshold around 6-7%, that would still be challenging for DEVA and future parties. Not for HDP or E. I mean, E party is around 13.7% according to our la- latest poll. Uh, but especially for Gelecek and DEVA, a 7 or 6% threshold could prove challenging. There is also talk in Ankara that the AKP is also working on changing the electoral system. Uh, yes, I've been hearing those as well, John. So, but uh, that's that's a very sensitive issue, particularly for MHB. Now, I know uh, there are uh, discussions uh, within our party to change the electoral system, to have a system like a single representative regions, but that's a winner-takes-all scenario. And for a party like MHB, who is the smaller much smaller partner in a coalition that produces awful results. And that makes MHP totally dependent on AK Party and, and Erdogan. So if AK Party were to introduce such a change, I don't think it could have the backing of MHP. So I, I'm very curious to see what they're crafting in their kitchen right now that could both serve the objective of AK Party, but at the same time be enough to convince MHP for their parliamentary backing. I mean, it looks like this is going to be crucial in terms of predicting the future of the AKP-MHP alliance. Is it going to stand as a robust alliance in the months to come? From your analysis, I understand the intentions of AKP and how they draft these new regulations will be determinant on their uh, cooperation and alliance with the MHP. Well, John, uh, on that note, I would like to say goodbye to you and to our audience. Thank you, John, as always. And hopefully we'll have some more positive topics to talk about in the next weeks. But for today, thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you, John. So my pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening and talk to you next time.